Hello, and thank you for listening to The History of World War II Podcast, Episode 421, It's Today or Nothing. Last time, the tanker Ohio was proving difficult to move, what given the hole in her front and the resulting water taken on board. But at 4.20 a.m., August 14th, they would try again. Quote, the rye again took the hole in tow using a 10-inch manila found aboard Ohio, which she secured to her sweep winch and led one part to a wire from Ohio's forecastle and the other to Penn's cable, Penn still being alongside rye, unquote. For they did not have to move fast, as nice as that would have been, they just had to move, given their close proximity to Malta. Next, Penn came alongside the Ohio. Captain Swain of the Penn asked all on board his ship, would anyone like to go over to the Ohio to help out? A few did, and one of those was Lonnie Dales, who Fred Larson was most happy to see. Together, they stayed aft. The band, it seemed, was back together. True, one had a fractured spine and the other a broken forearm, but they had experience and were determined. The world has been changed by such people. With Lonnie Dales, also now on the Ohio, were two Royal Marines, an ordinary seaman, a British Army sergeant, with some of his men, and a U.S. Navy gun crew, though they were the burn victims from the Santa Elisa, and were limited in their strength and range of mobility. Still, Larson sent them all up front to switch out the barrels of the Ehrlichons. The old ones would never do for what they were about to face. As the volunteers readied the guns for the enemy planes that the sun would surely bring, the junior engineer on the Santa Elisa, Peter Forkancer, found out that the Penn's submarine sound detection was malfunctioning. So much for focusing just on the threat from above. Soon, five guns of the Ohio were back in operation, four Ehrlichans and one Bofors. The minesweeper Rye pulled the Ohio for a whole 45 minutes before the 10-inch Manila hawser broke. It was 5.03 a.m. The men on Ohio were brought back to the pen just in case the non-moving tanker was attacked by a sub. As frustrated as he was, Larson saw the sense in this and got some sleep. The other men wisely followed suit. As Larson and company were heading back to the pen, Churchill was heading back to Stalin's office for his second talk in as many days. But as the first meeting had been courteous, professional even, this one belonged to the school playground, where only the bullies knew the rules. Churchill had to take two hours of Stalin trashing the fighting quality and spirit of his allies in the West. Churchill wrote, I repulsed all his contentions squarely, but without taunts of any kind, which was true enough but the Prime Minister was at his breaking point. Fortunately or not, the end stage of Pedestal was playing out while the Prime Minister was with the Soviet leader. Churchill needed all the help, i.e. good news, he could get, so wanted daily updates on the convoy. The day before, Churchill had shared his crocodile theory with the Russian leader, who appreciated it, but that mattered little if the plan was not going to work, leaving more and more Germans to stay and fight in the East. Churchill was desperate to show that his decisions were pulling German troops away from the Ost Front, but so far 
that was only true in case of airplanes. Those three cargo ships had entered Grand Harbor, but what really would have put the steel back in Churchill's spine to stand up to Uncle Joe was if he could say the Ohio was safe and all those weapons of war on Malta now had a new lease on life. And their job was to make the life of the Axis a living hell in the area. But so far, the Prime Minister could not make such a declaration, not until he heard from the first Sea Lord, Sir Dudley Pound. But zooming even further into Churchill's heart and mind, his other job on this visit was to get Stalin to formally become an ally with the United States and Great Britain. At the moment, they were just fighting the same enemies, nothing beyond that. But what Churchill wasn't bringing to the table wasn't impressing the Soviet leader. As Churchill wrote, his, Stalin's experience showed that troops must be bloodied in battle. If you do not blood your troops, you had no idea what their value was. In other words, anything other than being on the offensive was a waste of time to the man in Moscow, and Churchill needed him placated. Churchill received from Admiral Pound that very morning that three ships had made it safely into Grand Harbor, but there was still a tanker out there, but her chances of making it, according to Pound, were not good. And Churchill needed good. Hell, he needed great, as formerly he had gotten Stalin to appreciate the proposed Operation Torch, landing Allied troops on French North Africa's coast. This was to replace the hoped-for cross-channel landings that the Western powers were clearly not ready for. Not that Stalin cared about their readiness. He just wanted more dead Nazi troops. And if American and British troops died as well, well, that was the price of doing business. And all this was based on Churchill's crocodile approach. But if Malta was about to be taken out of the war, then torch mattered little, as Egypt the Suez, and the Middle East were about to be lost. Churchill needed a miracle. This podcast could not exist without the help of sponsors like Yahoo Finance. When it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. Now, you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses, Yahoo Finance. I've stressed this in my podcast about command and control, which is exactly what Yahoo Finance is. You can see all your investments and retirement accounts in one place. You can consolidate your views from multiple accounts into one hub and access the expert analysis you need to tend to your entire portfolio with confidence. Yahoo Finance has been around for more than 25 years, and they've worked things out. You've got the tools you need right at your fingertips. I open up my Yahoo Finance, and within seconds, I can see how my stocks and investments are doing. And basically, investing, it's all about growth. And in order to grow, you need to know what's going on. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. That night, after leaving Stalin's presence, Churchill recorded the following. Stalin lay back, puffing at his pipe, his eyes half-closed, emitting streams of insults. 
He said the Russians were losing 10,000 men a day. He said that if the British army had been fighting the Germans as much as the Red Army had, it would not be so frightened of them. He was most uncomplimentary of our army. He said we had broken our word about a second front. That was the straw that almost broke the back of Churchill, who was sorely tempted to just leave. As he wrote, I'm not sure it wouldn't be better to leave Stalin to fight his own battles. But later he wrote, no, that's going too far, I think. Back to the Mediterranean, early that morning, after Roger Hill and his destroyer Ledbury had left the Gulf of Hammamet and caught up with the Ohio, all was quiet there as the tanker's crew was gone, along with the pen and Brahman. Hill had some volunteers go over to the tanker, and Ledbury's gunner, Mr. Musham, was made the new captain of the Ohio. And humans being humans, certainly in a time of war, the volunteers began to help themselves to the ship's content. But topping them all, Mr. Musham had found and absconded with Captain Mason's hat, which he proudly wore as the tanker's new captain. Meanwhile, a few miles away, the pen was saying goodbye to a gunner from the Ohio, Mr. Peter Brown. Afterward, Larson asked Captain Swain to take him and his men back to the tanker. Swain agreed, still trying to think of a way to get her to Malta. But when Penn's motor launch 121 took them back, Larson and company were in for a shock. Mr. Musham, it seemed, the new master, had removed the Ehrlichans to replace the Leadberry's overused ones. But now that she was manned, the minesweeper Rye joined the Leadberry, and together they began to tow the Ohio once again. This time, a six-inch manila rope was fastened, but before too long, it broke. Captain Hill realized they were trying to do too much. Another plan was needed. That plan was to use all three ships against the Ohio. The Rye was in the front with a line connected to the Leadbury, while another line that connected the Leadbury to the tanker's port bow or left front. Meanwhile, the pen, as attached to the Ohio's starboard side, acted like a drag to keep the tanker moving in a straight line, more or less. As ugly as it was, this was working. The lines were holding. This amalgamation of seaworthy vessels began to get underway. Which is when the Regia Aeronautica showed up. Literally every Ju-87 dive bomber that Grupo 102 had, and these crews were the cream of the crop. When Roger Hill of the Ledbury looked up, he saw nine Ju-87s all waiting to take their turn to dive on the Ohio and finish it off. He would later write, It was horrible to be secured at each end to the Rye and Ohio, moving at two knots and quite unable to dodge. Each German plane had a 500-pound bomb, and the fourth Ju-87 to dive and drop its bomb barely missed the Ohio. As each man knew this was close enough to kill them all, they threw themselves to the deck and closed their eyes. Seconds later, the eruption of water pushed out of place by the landing bomb, soaked them, but they were still alive. When the men looked up, they saw oil all over the water's surface. The pilot had dropped an oil bomb. It seems they were hoping to burn the Ohio. 
The thinking was, with oil all over the place, surely a spark would do the rest. Whereas the Americans had just that year developed napalm, but they hadn't used it yet. This was the Italians' cheaper version of that. As the attacking planes were coming from the rear, Larson and Dales got a very good look at them. Then again, if any bomb struck true, they would be the first to die. Larson described the scene. We were sitting in steel seats at the Big Borfors, a Swedish rapid-fire cannon. It took one pointer and one trainer and a man to spot for us. The gunnery sergeant was the one that spotted for Dales and me and gave orders when to shoot. Dale's arm was broken, and it was bandaged up in a splint, but he never complained about it. We also had two guys from the British gun crew there who helped us loading the gun. We showed them how to handle the ammo, and it was a very simple operation. Speaking of the Boer Force, Churchill had them put on Britain's merchantmen when he became the first Lord of the Admiralty. The Boer Force, a well-crafted piece of Swedish engineering, weighed just over two tons, almost as much as a Spitfire. Her barrel alone was 900 pounds and 10 feet long. As such, she had to be elevated and rotated by two men who were belted into seats on both sides of the base. This left Larson, the pointer, to elevate and fire the gun, while Dales, the trainer, traversed it, each with a crank. And each of them had a slit in the metal sheet in front of them to see the approaching enemy. As for keeping the guns cool while they fired, that was the easy part, considering the Mediterranean waters were right at the edge of the gunwale, or at the top of the side of the ship. As stated earlier, the Ohio was slowly sinking. So the dive bombers kept coming down, and the gunners kept shooting up. It's not clear how many planes were taken out, but their bombs obviously decided to settle for near misses which partially lifted the heavy tanker out of the water. Later, Fallensby remembered being petrified with fear, but also being impressed as he watched Larson harass the coming Ju-87 with his 40mm bore force. But in his eagerness to bring down the enemy, at one point in the battle, he found himself shooting at friendly planes who had come out of the sun. The best that he could do was stop shooting at them and hope none were doomed by his shells. Yet one Jew 87 did crash into the sea, and Captain Hill gave credit to Larson, as he was the more experienced and in a superior position to fire. Finally, the attack was over, and in the confusion, the four ships of this convoy were side by side. As Hill puts it, the Ohio, with Penn alongside, heading more or less for Malta, then the Leadbury alongside Penn, heading the opposite direction, and Rye alongside Leadbury, also heading the wrong way. The chaos of wires, ropes, and cables hanging down into the sea had to be believed, which is when, of course, the next air attack came. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. As the planes above were bombing the ships below, and those below were firing everything they had at those above, and all the movement that that generated, the tow line connecting the Rye and the Ohio snapped. Fortunately, the Brahmin came along the port side, the pen was already on the starboard side, and together they kept the Ohio going at her current two knots. But then her tear in the stern caused her to veer off course. But the Leadberry, going old school, simply put her bows against the tanker and pushed her back on course. Occasionally, when the fighting was at its most intense, the pen would remove herself to gain distance and engage the bombers and fighters, hopefully before they had a chance to zero in on the Ohio. In trying to help the men's nerves, or conversely, torture them himself, Every time the pen had to pull away, she played the only American song she had on the ship over her loudspeaker, Glenn Miller's Chattanooga Choo Choo. It did help cover the sound of the falling bombs, just not the result of those falling bombs, if one ever struck true. This latest attack only had five Stukas involved. However, as the pilots were Italian, they were sure to be brave, careless even. But if one of them managed to take out the Ohio, whether they lived or died, they knew they would be heroes, and so they were all eager. And to make sure those five Stukas had a fighting chance, pun intended, they had been escorted by 23 Mach 202 fighters. The Spitfires above the tanker certainly had their hands full. As this was a full-on threat, the Ohio was cut loose again, as two Stukas managed to get through the Spitfires, and one of them dove right at the tanker. As it approached, Larson and Dales cranked the gun to get the barrel pointed at the coming threat. Larson didn't have time to feel the pain in his fractured spine, and Dales didn't have time to feel the pain in his fractured forearm. By now, they were a well-oiled machine. The barrel was raised, Larson thought he had it just about right, and fired, and missed. As the Stuka had been approaching the Ohio from behind, her bomb landed just behind the tanker, where Larson and Dales were. The resulting wave lifted and pushed the tanker along, faster than she had been going for hours. But you cannot have good news without bad. The bomb missed, but it landed close close enough to twist the 20-foot bronze screw and ripped off her already jammed rudder. And lastly, there was a new hole in the ship's stern for more water to pour into. Larson might have missed, but the intensity of his firing caused the pilot to drop his bomb a second too early in order to turn and get the hell out of there. Had the bomb landed true, the tanker would have been broke in two, and gone down in seconds. The Ohio's real captain, Mason, had been approaching his ship on a motor launch, but now as he watched, the tanker's stern began to settle further into the water. 
He returned to the pen to gather a crew and make a plan, which is when he found out that all of his officers and engineers were already on Malta. This included the seven Navy and 12 Army gunners that had been with him. Here's what happened. When Ohio was abandoned the first time, the men had climbed aboard a motor launch, but it was attacked, nearly missed by a torpedo. So Captain Swain had sent it on to Malta, not really knowing if the smaller, damaged vessel would make it. But it did. Mason, not having his crew, went to Ohio anyways and began a thorough examination. All he had with him of his original crew were two firemen, two greasers, and two seamen. With Mason evaluating the ship, some of the other men found food and drink, and, well, drank. Larson and Dales, however, stayed at the stern of the ship, manning their guns and keeping an eye on the sky. They would celebrate later, maybe, if they made it. With a break in the fighting, some of the men of the Brahmin went over to Ohio to help man the guns and run ammo. Captain Mason saw them and got some food together. Then he continued to assess his ship. Fortunately for all, pumps from the pen began removing some of the water within Ohio. Now finished with his inspection, Mason told the naval officers that one, the Ohio would probably stay afloat for another 12 hours, That was their window of opportunity. Next, she might break in half, but if she did so, the front half would probably stay afloat, and that should still be towed to Malta, as it had 75% of their cargo. It was then that the men of Ohio and the other ships realized there was silence all around them. Surely there would be another attack, or attacks, before the sunset, but for this moment... The Ohio moved along at her inglorious two knots, which was better than nothing, all in the stillness of the Mediterranean. Other than that, the men tried to relax, though they were still tense, knowing that the alarm could sound at any second. And then what would happen after that? Chattanooga Choo would blare over the loudspeakers. Postscript Just to keep a running tally thus far, the Melbourne Star, Rochester Castle, and Port Chalmers had sailed or been pushed into the Grand Harbor. They made it, which means the Wairama, Santa Elisa, Glenorchy, Ameria Likes, Empire Hope, Clan Ferguson, M.V. Deucalion, Dorset, and of course, before they got to the Narrows, the Carrier Eagle, were all lost, having sacrificed everything. For Operation Pedestal. Greetings, everyone, from Central Virginia. So just to let you know, I'm going to say hi to members and those who have donated. But after that, I'm going to play a short version of Chattanooga Choo Choo. So I hope you enjoy it. As far as the latest members, um, let's see here. Anthony Oram from Chippingham, UK. James Hall from Livermore, California. Thank you very much, gentlemen, for becoming members and supporting the show. And as far as donations, let's see. There is a Joseph Devon Davan, and Peter Borden from Australia. And Peter renewed his membership. So Peter is my new best friend for this week. Thank you very much for supporting the show. We really do appreciate it. And now, a little bit of blast from the past.
Time inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.